Amen. Thank you, Brother Murray. If you have a little one that would like to go to Children's Church, Miss Kim is at her post and ready to serve our church in that way. And while they're making their way out, let me invite you to take out your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Habakkuk. The book of Habakkuk. You'll find that in the Old Testament, almost to the New Testament. It's a, one of our, what we call a, a minor prophet, not because they're not important, just because it's a very short book there. And so we're going to be looking at the book of Habakkuk over the next few weeks uh, together. You know, one of the struggles or strives that we have as believers in the public square is dealing with evil. One of the things that people will often say to us as we uh, go into the secular world to talk about the love of God is, if God is so loving, why is there so much evil? Why do bad things happen? How do, how do we reconcile this idea of, of evil in the midst of a God that we're proclaiming that is good and, and loving and caring? And, and that's one of the struggles that we have. Brothers and sisters, if we were to just survey the news headlines over the last few months and last year, we would find some stories that would just be uh, horrific for us. One of those that comes to mind is Camille Cupcake, the little girl uh, from Montgomery who was at a birthday party, seemingly an outdoor birthday party, having a wonderful time and was kidnapped. Prayer vigils were had. The whole state of Alabama is passing news, people looking and searching and praying, not only to figure out that just in a few days after her kidnap, her body would be found in a landfill. What evil? Or how about just the last few weeks? When 176 people took off on a plane, seemingly headed home, headed to their families, headed to business trips, and Iran, seemingly by accident, shoots the plane down, and 176 innocent people, not engaged in war, go to their death. What evil. How about this one? In 2019, 42 million abortions happened around the world. That's more than cancer, smoking, car accidents, heart attacks, and HIV combined. Planned Parenthood alone is responsible for almost 400,000 abortions in the United States. And yet we have people who are praying to give birth that are facing infertility. What do we do with this evil? How, how do we face the headlines week after week after week after week? How do we stand and proclaim God is good, God is love, God cares, and yet there is terrorist and sex trafficking and kidnapping and murder, and that's not just the things that you and I deal with in our life. That's the, that's the global headlines. How, how, do we, how do we face this? How do we wrestle with that? How do we put those things into words? And honestly, here's the question that we often ask. God where are you? Where are you? Well, luckily for us, our God is good. And He's merciful. And He knew that in our heart of hearts and in, and in our uh, faith that we stumble to, to follow Him and the doubts that, that toss us to and fro, He knew we would ask these questions. In fact, 600 years before Jesus, some almost 3,000 years ago, the prophet Habakkuk looks around the world, looks at the nation of Judah or Israel, and asks the same very questions. Lord, where are you? He deals with this idea of how can a holy and loving God let evil run loose, run rampant? How, how can God let this seemingly go unpunished? Where is justice? And Habakkuk wrestles with this. You have your copy of God's Word open to Habakkuk. Let me read to you the first four verses. We'll dive through the first uh, chapter and a half this morning, but I want you to just hear how Habakkuk, he, he says exactly what I want to say to God. 
He, he, some some 3,000 years ago, some 600 years before Jesus, he's looking at the headlines of the day. He's, he's surveying the temperature of all the evil that's taking place. He's looking specifically at Judah, God's country, and he sees how bad it's become. And listen to the words that he uses in verse 1 and, and through verse 4. It says, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Here it is. Listen to this. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Look, look at that verse 2 again. O oh Lord, how long? Would you pray with me, Father? This morning as we begin this journey through this book, Father, this book that you had written down in your holy word, that every word of it is true and sufficient and, and we need it. Lord, we are reminded today as we survey the headlines, as we look around us at this at the great evil that seems to be going unpunished, the great atrocities that are constantly in front of us, Father, from, from political turmoil to war to, to, to sexual sin to, uh, to jihadist, Father, to, to, to all the things that, that fracture society. On every level, we see sin just running rampant and evil running loose. And, and Father, we, like Habakkuk, will find ourselves at times reading the headlines and, and looking up and asking, Lord, how long? How long will we continue to live in this, in, this, in this world where it seems like you're not doing anything? How, how long will you let this happen? God, we wrestle with this question. And so this morning, I pray, Lord, as, as believers, as followers of Christ, we would see in your word that the answer that we're looking for. God, show us. Show us the answer to evil. Show us what will comfort our hearts when we read one more headline, one more news story. One more tragedy. Show us what will comfort our hearts. Show us what will firm up our faith. Show us when we have doubts, Lord. Show us when we find ourselves asking how long. God, we pray that you would show us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Habakkuk is a minor prophet. Minor just means short, like uh, Isaiah would be a major prophet. It's how we learn the books of the Bible. It's how we do Bible drill. We, we break them up so we can be reminded. In the Hebrew Bible, it would just simply be the book of the 12. All the minor prophets would be together. So that's just a way in which we refer to Habakkuk. We don't know a lot about him. In fact, this book is the only place we really find his name, and we don't know uh, really what's going on, but, but we have some idea of what he's speaking to. We believe that Habakkuk would be a temporary or excuse me, a contemporary with Jeremiah, that he would come along about the same time and that he's speaking specifically of Judah's sin. Now, just a quick history lesson. Uh, the nation of Israel has split in two. There's the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And, and Judah being the southern kingdom is the one in which uh, Habakkuk is looking at. And Habakkuk sees that the king that's on the throne is Joachim. And Joachim is one of the most evil kings in Israel's history. Josiah, his son, came to the throne at eight years old and began to reform the nation. He began to find the words of Moses again and preach the good news. And, and, and revival seemingly start to break out. And then Joachim takes over and Joachim runs the complete opposite direction of God. He starts to spiral out of control. And so inside of Judah, there is political unrest. There is war. There is strife. 
strife. They're running from the things of God. In fact, it is Joachim that has the prophet Uriah murdered. It is Joachim that also has the prophecies of Jeremiah burned. The literal writings of Jeremiah are burned in his fireplace. He becomes a puppet of Egypt. And so here's what Habakkuk sees. Habakkuk looks at his own country, the country that's supposed to be following God, and sees it utterly in peril, evil, and distress. Sound familiar? I mean, he sees a society that's falling apart. He sees sin running rampant. And he looks up to God in verse 2, and he says, how long? In fact, if you look at verse 1, notice what it says. It says, the oracle of Habakkuk. The word oracle there could be translated burden. He literally has a burden to ask God a question. And he comes to God with this burden. He's watched this atrocity. He watched this evil. He's watched his country fall apart. He's watched this once God-fearing nation crumble before him. He sees the rise of Egypt. He sees the rise of the Assyrians. Eventually, he'll see the rise of Nebuchadnezzar, all these evil nations taking power. And he just simply comes to God with this burden. And in verse 2, notice what he says, How long? Now, let us be clear about this. Verse 2 reminds us that he's been praying this prayer for a while. He, like all of us who have prayed for world peace, who have prayed for something to subside, who've prayed for cancer to go away, who's prayed for murderers to stop, who's prayed for kidnapped children to come home, we've all prayed these prayers and they seemingly go unanswered. And so Habakkuk has had enough of these unanswered prayers and with all of his courage and with all of his mustard, he goes up to the Lord and he says, how long are you going to sit quiet? You might ask yourself, boy, this seems pretty bold. I would say it's bold. I would say it's courageous. But I would also say that it shows what what God has been teaching us from the very beginning of Scripture. Come to me, all you are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Uh, Habakkuk, no, the only place to find his answer, the only place to find the the way to, to relieve the stress, the only place to go is to God who's over all things. And so Habakkuk, seeing this seemingly evil taking place, says, I, I don't know where else to find the answer, so I'm going to go to God. And he goes up to God and he says, how long will this go on? And notice what he describes. Now Habakkuk is unique. He's the only prophet really in the Old Testament that speaks to God for the people instead of speaking to people for God. He's unique in the sense that he takes the burdens that we're thinking and he goes up to God and he starts talking to God about them. We see this a little bit in Moses where Moses goes before God, before the people. But most of the prophets, they heard from God and then they told the people. Habakkuk is watching people suffer. He's watching righteousness seem not to take place. And he goes to God and he says, how long? And notice what he describes. Listen, listen to what he describes. In verse 2, how long will I cry out for violence? How long will you make me see iniquity? How long will you look idly at wrong? How long will destruction and violence be before me? Strife and contention. Now look at verse 4. Here's the crux of his argument. He says, how long will justice be paralyzed? When is right going to win out? When is good going to prevail? In fact, in verse 4, he says, even the wicked surround the righteous, that what little bit of justice I see is perverted. It's not even right justice. It's not even good justice. Lord, how long is this going to take place? I want you to notice something there in verse 2, though. It reminds me of being a parent. He says, Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry out to you and you will not hear? Now, the word hear in the Hebrew is more than just listen. It means to respond. It reminds me of when I tell my children something over and over and over, and eventually when they don't respond, do you know what I say? Son, did you hear me? Right? I want a response. I, I want you to answer me. I want you to say something. Did you hear me? And this is exactly what Habakkuk is doing. He says, God, do you hear me? Brothers and sisters, 
How often have we wept in the, in the hospital room? How often have we read the newspaper? How often have we seen the wars and the sin and the sickness? How often in, in the quietness of our heart, we may not be as bold as Habakkuk because we're not sure we're supposed to be, but how often have we said, God, where are you? God, are you listening? God, do you care? God, how, how long will evil seem to prosper and the righteous be crushed? This is Habakkuk's question. This is the question that we all wrestle with. And you know, the problem with Habakkuk is not that he didn't know about God. It's what he knew about God. Habakkuk puts for us in these first couple of verses his agony. He says simply, Here, here's the agony that I'm feeling. I'm feeling this weight of the fact that you're not answering me. I'm feeling the weight of the fact that, that the moral law has fallen to such a way that there's violence and strife and crime and suffering and, and there's sickness all around me. He, he's carrying this burden to the Lord. But the reason why he has this burden is not because he doesn't know about the Lord. It's because he does know about the Lord. You see, Habakkuk would, knew, he would know what Moses was told to write down. When God describes himself to the people in Exodus chapter 34, this is what God describes himself as. I give it to you on the screen this morning. This is how God describes himself to his people. He says, God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But, but notice this last part, because Habakkuk knows this about God. Yes, you're good. Yes, you're loving. Yes, you're forgiving. But notice what he says. But you will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. You see, here's the problem that Habakkuk has that you and I have. We know God hates evil. And we know that God wants righteousness to prevail. And we know that God wants holiness to be his standard. And so the struggle we have is, God, if you're holy and you're good and you're majestic and you're righteous, why are you letting this happen? That's the question. That's the struggle that we face when we look at evil all around us. And so Habakkuk has this agony. But I want you to notice God's answer. Look with me at the next part where God answers Habakkuk. Notice with me in verse 5 how God begins to speak. God, God does hear him. Habakkuk says in verse 2, How long, O Lord? How long am I going to sit without an answer? How long will it be until you tell me what's going on? How long will you justify this? How long will I struggle with this problem of evil? Now notice with me how God answers him. Listen to what God says in verse 5. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and their dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on them. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like eagles, swift to devour. They will come for violence and all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff and at rulers they laugh. They, lay, they laugh at every fortress for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. I want you to notice verse 5. Listen to what God says. God says, I'm doing a work. I am working. I'm not overlooking all the evil that you see. I'm not sitting idly by. But, but notice that second part of verse 5. He says, but what I'm about to tell you, you're not even going to believe. 
He says, I'm about to give you an answer to your question, but you're not even going to be able to comprehend this. It's going to blow your mind, Habakkuk, what I'm about to tell you. And here's the answer. It's a very hard answer. Here's the answer. He says, Habakkuk, I've seen Judah's sin. I've seen how they've turned from me. I've seen how they go away from me. I've seen the violence. I've heard your cry. And here's how I'm going to fix it. You know those Babylonians led by Nebuchadnezzar, that evil, pagan, powerful army that seems to be conquering everything they touch and swallowing them up. Look in there in verse 12. Swallowing them up, taking captives, piling up dirt, conquering. Their horses are swift. They're hungry like wolves at night. You know that pagan nation? I'm about to send them into Judah and crush it. Now, now brothers and sisters, I, I don't know about you, but that ain't how I saw this going. I said, wait a minute. Lord, I'm asking you to fix the wrong in Judah. I'm asking you to stop this this evil, this, this king that's been on the throne that's, that's making a mockery of your way. God, make it right. And your answer is to raise up an even worse nation to crush us? Now, brothers and sisters, there are all kind of thoughts that flood my mind here and all kind of conundrums, if you will, that I'm not sure I quite understand. But, but notice, he warned him. Look at verse uh, 5. Look among the nations. Look, see, wonder. He literally says, you're about to be amazed at what I'm doing. You're about to be blown away at the answer I'm about to give you. It's not going to make sense to you, but I, but I want you to see it. And notice what he does. He describes the Babylonians. The Chaldeans is another term for Babylonians. Notice he describes them. Verse 6, he says, they are bitter and a hasty nation. That means ruthless and fast to conquer. They make decisions at the whim. They go after whatever they want. Verse 7, they are a law unto themselves. They have no justice or morality. They do whatever they want to do. Verse 8 and 9 describe the fact that they're super at war. It says they're like evening wolves. or A wolf's hungry by the time he wakes up at night. They're going to conquer. If you look down at verse 9, it says they come from violence. They gather captives like sand. We, we know this will happen. Nebuchadnezzar will eventually crush them. They'll spread them out. They'll take some into captivity. We, we know all about this. They laugh at fortresses. Verse 10, they pile up earth and take it. That's literally the idea that they have so many soldiers that when they come up to your wall, they're going to build a ramp, climb over your wall, and conquer your city. There's nothing for them to pile up dirt. It's nothing for them to destroy where you are. And look at verse 11. This is the part that's probably the most indicting. They sweep like the wind and go on. Guilty men. Now notice this. Whose might is their God. This pagan nation worships their own power their own idols, their own way. And God's answer to Habakkuk with the wrong in Judah is I'm going to send this pagan nation to crush you. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not sure how to process that. I'm not sure how that reconciles with a God who's loving and compassionate and forgiving. I'm not sure how that works. And luckily for you and for me, Habakkuk didn't know how to process it either. Because if you'll look with me at the very next section, not only does Habakkuk have an agony, now he's got anxiety. Look with me at the next part. Let me show you his anxiety now. He's like, Lord, I am am not understanding this at all. Look Look at verse 12. He says, are you not from everlasting? Oh, Lord, my God, my Holy One. We shall not die. Oh, Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment. And you, O rock, that's the the name of God for Israel. You're our rock. You're in charge. You established them for reproof. Listen to how he describes God. You are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. 
Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallow up the more righteous than he? Here's what Habakkuk says. Lord, you're the God of Israel. You're the rock. You're pure. You're holy. And yet, you're going to look while Babylon crushes your people. In fact, look, look again at verse 12. Or verse 13, excuse me. You are the pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallow up the man more righteous than he? Now, now Habakkuk's doing exactly what we would do. Lord, I know I'm bad. I mean, I, I know I'm bad, but have you seen my neighbor? I mean, Lord, I, I, I know I'm bad, but have you seen the folks I work with? Right? This is exactly what he's doing. He said, Lord, I, I know Judah is bad. But there's a remnant, there's your people, there's some that are faithful, there's some that are righteous, there's some that's following your way, and yet you with pure eyes, holy eyes, you're going to look on this wicked nation as it tramples through your people. I mean, Habakkuk's got anxiety. God, how can you let this happen? Have we not wrestled with these same questions? Father, how can we pray with that young God-fearing couple who continues to not be able to have children while Planned Parenthood is slaughtering 400,000 a year? Father, how can a man go to the other side of the world to preach the gospel boldly only to be thrown in prison in a nation that hates him? Father, how can you do this? How can you, how can you let this happen? I know Judah's bad, and I, and I know we've got our problems, but, but we're nothing like them. How can you look on them with your eyes and let this evil take place? I, I'm reminded of Isaiah where the prophet says, your ways are not our ways, and your ideas are, are higher than ours. I, I don't, let, me, let me confess to you, I know it's not kosher for the preacher to admit this, but I don't fully understand all this. I don't, I don't fully get it. I, like, Lord, why would you let this happen? But I want you to notice with me before we leave, before we leave the, the answer or the anxiety. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. So Habakkuk gets through this anxiety. Lord, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's, I mean, you're, you're going to bring them up. In fact, verses 14 through 17, he begins again describe what's going to happen. He says, we're going to be like fish without a king. We're just going to be swimming wild in the ocean. It's going to be crazy. We're going to be uncontrolled. They're going to hook us in their nets. They're going to draw us up. It's going to be nuts when they start to come and swallow us up. But, but look, at verse, look at chapter 2, verse 1, because, because Habakkuk is still holding on to the fact that he loves God. Listen to what he says. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer conquering my complaint. Or excuse me, concerning my Complaint. Just, just, just hear that again. I, I kind of butchered it. I will take my stand at my watch post and look out to see what he will say to me. I, I don't have all the answers to this text. I, I, don't, I, I confess to you, I don't understand necessarily the sovereignty of God and how he moves about the pieces in the world and what he is doing. But, but I hope that I have the faith of Habakkuk because here's what Habakkuk concludes with. I'm not sure about all this, God, but like the soldier on the wall, I'm going to take my spot and I'm going to watch you and I'm going to wait for you and I'm not going to look to solve it and I'm not going to go somewhere else and I'm not going to quit and I'm not going to turn my back on you. I'm going to take my spot and say God is God and I'm watching him. 
brothers and sisters, I can't answer all the questions of evil in the world, but I can say this, God is God and I'm watching Him. God is God, and I will take my post and declare. And Oh, how comforting it is to know that I don't have to answer about a plane crash in Iran, and I don't have to deal with trying to figure out why abortions are rampant, and I don't understand the trafficking industry, but I know this. I'm on my post, and I'm watching God. I'm trusting in God. And so I want you to see the last part of this conversation in God's assurance. When God does answer Habakkuk's anxiety, because he asked the same questions we would ask. God, why would you let this happen? Why, why, why would you use this, this worse nation, this evil nation to, to overrun your people? Why, why would you allow these, these seemingly evil powers to have control? He's, he's full of this anxiety, this question, this doubt. He's doing what we all do in our faith. We doubt, we question, we wonder, God, what are you doing? But, but in verse 2 through verse 5 of chapter 2, this, this section of dialogue kind of comes to an end, and God gives him an assurance. And brothers and sisters, I want to tell you something before I read this. This passage of Scripture is some of the most beautiful words in all of the Bible. In fact, it's so beautiful that the Apostle Paul would quote it, that Martin Luther would use it in his Reformation, that this passage of Scripture is where we find one of the most beautiful statements in all the Bible. Listen in verse 2, And the Lord answered me, Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. It seems slow. Wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Here it is. Look at verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. If you have a pen... Underline it. Circle it. If you're adverse to writing in your Bible, get over it. Underline it. Circle it, right? But the righteous shall live by his faith. Listen to the assurance that he gives him. He comes to him with these most important questions. God, I don't understand evil. I don't know why this is happening. And why would you let this place prosper? Why does injustice seem to be running loose? Why do the wicked seem to be doing well while those that are faithful are being crushed? God, I don't get it. And then God answers by, you ain't seen nothing yet. It's fixing to get worse. I'm fixing to send Babylon in and they're going to make it even more worse and the righteous are going to suffer even more and, and all of this is going to be spread out. And, and so in, in, this Habakkuk has this anxiety of faith building up and he says, God, I, I'm getting tired of reading the headlines. But I'll wait and I'll watch and notice what the Lord says to him. The Lord says in verse 2, write the vision, make it plain. You, you know why he put that in there. So Corey would get it. Make it plain. Write it down. Last week in Thailand, I had the privilege of, of preaching in a house church there, and, and I had to preach through an interpreter, so I had to use real English. It's so good to be back with you southern folks tonight, right, today, right? But, but, but I, I had to make it real plain, real short, real to the point. Well, well, this is exactly what he says. He says, make this plain. I don't want any generation to miss it. I don't want any faithful believer to make it plain. In fact, notice what he writes. It's kind of an interesting play on words here. He says, make it plain on the tablets so he may run who reads it. Now, now that word run who reads it, scholars have kind of come up with two ideas of what they think it means. 
They mean first, make it so simple that when I read it, I can live my life by it. I can run with it. I can, I can obey it without even struggling. And so we go down and read that sentence, the righteous shall live by faith. Okay, that's what I'm running my life by. I'm, that's simple. I'm going to have faith in God. I'm running that way. But, but other scholars believe that maybe, maybe it literally has the idea of write it down so if you're running, you can still read it. It's the idea of a billboard on the side of the road. Make it so big and so plain that even when the Christian is running for their life in fear of evil, they'll see the giant sign on the side of the road that says Shinar. I'm just kidding. It says, it says, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. I, I know evil's chasing you. And I know you're running. And I know you don't understand. And I know the world seems upside down. The righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live. Hold on. Now notice with me what God says. Look, look at it as we finish. He gives him the answer. What's the answer? There's, there's two parts to it. Verse 3 says his timing is perfect. You want to know the first answer to evil? God is working and his timing is perfect. His timing is perfect. When he decides to fix it, to solve it, to move, to come, to finish, to make it right, it will be perfect. And brothers and sisters, I shared this with you a few weeks ago. When we stand before God on that glorious day where he gathers us up, we won't be wagging our fingers saying, God, why didn't you do this? And why didn't you do that? And why didn't you do this? We will say, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. It will make sense. He will gather us up. His timing is right. But then notice the second part of the answer, and that's simply this. The answer is this, his timing is right, and those who trust him live by faith. They live by faith. Trust in God. Hold to his promises. It may not answer the question. It may not solve the problem. We may not get all the details, but we hold to his promises. We remember that he's faithful. We stand with God. In the midst of this world full of evil, we hold on. We live by faith. But the word there, faith, can also be translated live by his faithfulness. The Hebrew there, your Bible may even have a note where you can look down at the Bible and it'll say faithful and not just faith. And so, so there's also an action here. It's in the midst of evil, do what's right. You want to know how you have faith in God? In the midst of calamity, obey Him. Walk with Him. Don't turn your back on Him. Stand on the tower and know that He is God and His timing is right. And the world may be falling all around you. But do what's right. Follow God. Now the question is, I've explained the text to you, and, and I think we've put ourselves emotionally into Habakkuk's story. We've seen the headlines of today. We understand the question of evil and good. But, but here's the, the leap. What's the application? Yes, the application is remember God's timing is perfect. Yes, the application is remember to be faithful. But, but how is this text of Habakkuk some 3,000 years ago dealing with Judah and, and Nebuchadnezzar? How, how is that going to affect me tomorrow? How is that going to deal with Monday morning? I want to show you three truths of application this morning as we close. And they're simply this. In the midst of evil, we can trust God cares. In the midst of evil, we can trust that God cares. How do I know this? Because what did Habakkuk do in the midst of evil? He climbed up on a mountain and he started screaming at God. And did you notice in the text what God did? God didn't thump him. He didn't smack him. He didn't throw him away. He answered him. He answered him why? Because, brothers and sisters, the breath of Scripture declares to us that God cares about His people. That God loves His people. 
That God has given you the opportunity to pray to him, to seek him, to question him. He's big enough to handle your doubts and your complaints and your struggles and your strife. He cares about you. He's listening. He knows. He's watching. I mean, the scripture tells us that he, that he clothes the flowers and feeds the birds. How much more does he care for us? And so we, we find in this revelation that the life-giving answer in the text is go to God. You may not get all of clarity. You may not get all of your points and dots connected. But here's what you can know for sure. In the midst of your calamity, God cares. I can think of nothing better. As a father, there are many times where my children are hurt or harmed and, and I can't fix it. I can't make skin grow back on skint knees. I can't make friends at school use nice words. I can't solve the problem with school lunch. It's just gross. Right? I, I can't, it was just humor, by the way. I can't fix all of those things. But you know what I found as a parent? My children are not always after me fixing it. They're just after a hug. They're just after someone who cares. They just want somebody to listen. Dad, let me tell you what happen. God certainly can fix all of our problems. And brothers and sisters, in just a moment, I will show you that He will. But ultimately, I'm so thankful that He just cares. That He hears. That He listens. God cares. Tr truth number two, application number two, simply this, in the midst of evil, we can trust God is working. He's working. One of the complaints that Habakkuk had is, God, I don't see you. What are you doing? Where are you at? Are you doing anything? Are you working? Why are, you, are you twiddling your thumbs? Are you asleep at the wheel? God, where are you? And what does Habakkuk say? Or what does God answer Habakkuk? He says, he says you're not even going to believe this, but I'm working. I'm already working. I'm, I'm sovereignly over everything. You think I'm not working, but right now I'm raising up Nebuchadnezzar. And he's starting to conquer the Assyrians. And eventually he's going to conquer Judah. And it's going to crush you. And it's going to move you. And it may not be the plan you wanted, but I'm working. God is working. Here's the overarching truth from Habakkuk chapter 1 and chapter 2 is simply this. While we think we're the only thing, the only thing working, while we think our hands are doing all the work, there is a sovereign God that's working over all things. He is working over all things. And He's working over all nations. And here's the thing that probably blew Habakkuk's mind the most. He's not just the God of Judah. He's the God of the Babylonians and the Assyrians and Egypt. He's not just the God of Israel and America. He's the God of Iran and Iraq and North Korea. He's the God over cancer and layoffs and death. God is sovereign over all things. And you can trust that He's working. He's working. He's always working. And in the short term... All we see is pain, and we don't understand, and we think it's all the hands of man. But in the long term, there is not a single president or king or politician or sex trafficking or rapist or adulterer that moves without God knowing. God knows, and he sees, and he's working. And let me add one more part to this idea of working. Why would God raise up the Babylonians to crush Judah? Let me tell you. God is not interested in your health or your prosperity. He's interested in your faith. He's interested in you faithfully looking to Him. And so in, in, in chapter 2, verse 4, He says, The righteous will live by faith. I'm going to crush Judah so those who will stand with faith and follow me. I'm going to send Abraham up that mountain so his faith will shine. 
I'm going to send Moses in front of Pharaoh so his faith will shine. I'm going to crush you for faith. You understand that when we see evil, it's an opportunity for faith to grow. God is working. And let me finish with this last application, probably the one that I hope leaves you with the most hope, and that's simply this. We can trust God will save. He will save. Now, now I referenced this to you earlier, but I want to make sure I make the point clear. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, he says, The righteous shall live by faith. This is the treaty sentence. This is the main point of Paul's writing in the book of Romans. In fact, he will launch the whole book of Romans out of this verse. I'll give it to you on the screen. Romans 1, 16 and 17 is kind of his, his thesis sentence of the gospel. Notice what he says. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That means Jesus Christ coming, dying, bearing, rise from the grave. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as is written, here it is, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, the righteous shall live by faith. Brothers and sisters, hear me now. The answer to Habakkuk's struggle was simply this. Trust God, He will save you. And the answer to you and I and our struggle with evil and sin and brokenness is the same answer Habakkuk got. Trust God and He will save you. Trust God and he will deliver you. Trust God and he will make it okay. And I can't think of a better example than Jesus Christ. I mean, think about it. Think about the day when Jesus died. Israel is in decay. All of their leadership, the Jewish Pharisees and Sadducees, had left God long ago. They had sown after their law. They had sown after their own righteousness. Jesus would call them whitewashed tombs, dead in their trespasses and sin. Rome, the pagan nation, controlled them and had power. And everywhere you could see was Rome. Everything was running against God's people. And then there comes a man, the Holy One, the Christ, the Son of God. He walks on the earth. He's sinless. He's pure. He's perfect. All he ever did was good. He raised the dead. He healed the sick. He taught of God's love. And what did they do with him? Like Nebuchadnezzar rolling into Judah, they crushed him. They killed him. And brothers and sisters, listen to me now. There is no other time in history where we could stand on our watchtower and look up to heaven and say, God, where are you? How could you let Jesus die? Where are you? But remember what God told Habakkuk, I'm about to do something you ain't never going to believe it. When Jesus was crushed at the hands of evil in the short term, all we see is evil winning. But remember, God is sovereign and God is working. And brothers and sisters, three days after evil thought had won, Jesus Christ came out of that tomb and all of those who place their faith in Him shall be saved from this evil work. Look and wonder and be amazed. I'm doing something you'll never understand. This is the beauty of God that in the midst of evil, we can know that He cares. We can know that He's working. And because of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, we can know He will save us. Would you pray with me this morning? God, often we have read the headlines and screamed, Where are you? How could this be? How could you let this happen? We've prayed at the deathbed of friends asking for healing and it seems to not come. We've watched innocent children kidnapped and murdered. We see planes shot down 
not in war, just, just people flying to their families. We see terrorists blowing up buildings. We see deviant sexual sin. We see the abortion industry is just evilness that, that runs rampant. And, and like Habakkuk, we, we can push back from the headlines and say, God, how long? Where are you? Are you paying attention? And God, I'm so thankful. I praise you, Lord, that you, you let Habakkuk have these hard questions, that you answered him and that you wrote it in Holy Scripture so that we can see it. And so, God, I'm thankful that we can read this and know in the midst of evil, in the midst of seemingly injustice, we know you care and you're working and you will save. And so, God, I pray this morning. I pray for the brother and sister in the room that, that, the, that the nation's headlines are not affecting them. It's, it's the struggle in their own home in their own health, in their own job situation. It's, it's the evil that seems to be winning against them. It's the injustice that they seem to be up against. I pray you would remind them as Habakkuk to stand on the, on the post, to trust in you, to follow you, to be faithful to do what you've called them to do, and remind them, remind them that not even death, hell, or the grave can stop you from saving your people. You will save us. And your timing is perfect. Brothers and sisters, your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. In just a moment, we're going to offer a time of response. Maybe for you that means simply just standing and singing to the goodness of God. Maybe that means coming to the altar and praying, consecrating yourself before the Lord. Here's the challenge I would lay before you. There are some of you in here that are really struggling. You really got problems. You really got iniquity and injustice and and all kinds of things happening in your life, and you're wobbling, and you're doubting, and you're, you're wondering where God is. And, and maybe this morning you just need to be like Habakkuk and fall on your knees and say, God, I'm not sure. I don't understand, but I trust you. Strengthen my faith. Maybe you're here this morning, and, and brother, sister, to be honest with you, you're too involved in the headlines. You're too involved in politics. You're too involved in the world. You find yourself at fear on every corner because you think somehow kings and nations and politicians run the world, and you've forgotten that God is sovereign. And you need to repent. And you need to be reminded that God is over all things. Maybe that's simply just a prayer of repentance. Maybe you're here this morning, brother or sister, and you find yourself evil. You find yourself entrenched in sin. You find yourself against God. You find yourself more like the Babylonians than anybody else in the story. You, you find yourself seeking power and money and, and sexual sin and, and all the things that the world has invited you to go after. And brother and sister, listen to me now. God's going to punish evil. And so the only answer is to be faithful to Him, which means coming to Christ. He tells us in chapter 2, verse 4, that the righteous shall live by his faith. That, that faith in Christ is what Paul would tell us in Romans is the only answer. So your answer to fear and calamity and sin and evil is coming to Jesus. Oh, I pray that today would be the day. God, I pray you'd lead us now as we respond in song. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us? You come this morning if you need to pray.